Welcome to the Cold Steel Surgical Podcast with your hosts Amir Farouk and Chad Ball. We've had the absolute privilege of chatting with some amazing Canadian as well as international guests over the past year. While the topics have been broad in range, whether clinical, social, or political, our aims for the podcast continue to remain the same. We hope to inspire discussion, creativity, scholarly research, and career development in all Canadian surgeons. We hope you enjoy our second season as we continue to highlight some incredible guests, deliver detailed masterclass sessions on a myriad of clinical topics, and introduce some fresh new features such as debate and companion formats. We hope you relish the podcast as much as we do. Lucky enough at the end of June 2021 to interview a true Canadian surgical icon, Dr. Leanne Feldman. Dr. Feldman is the chief of the Division of General Surgery at McGill University in Montreal and the newest president of the Society of American Gastrointestinal and Endoscopic Surgeons, or SAGES. We really wanted to try to understand from Dr. Feldman, what does it mean to be a minimally invasive surgeon in 2021? Where does Dr. Feldman see SAGES going in the future? And finally, we discussed the work Dr. Feldman did to help create the fundamental use of surgical energy or FUSE program. The FUSE program is now a core part of North American surgery programs and helps residents to understand the actual underlying physics and mechanics of surgical energy devices. In other words, what exactly is the difference between blue and yellow in the bovie? For all this and more, stay with us. The first question I have for you is, do you think the Canadians are going to win the playoffs? Uh, absolutely. You have to have faith, you know, <laughs> thing like that. Uh, there's definitely, uh, it seems, and uh, last night notwithstanding, um, seems like there's something magical happening for sure. Yeah, I mean, keep the, the price is right and keep calm and, and c- carry on, right? We're all rooting for them. Um, Dr. Feldman, you're a Montreal native, is that correct? Yep, that's right. Uh, born and bred or my, my mom's from here as well and my dad was originally from toronto but uh yeah i was born here and raised here this is home and did you do medical school and residency in in montreal as well yeah i'm pretty much a lifer i um i did go away for my undergraduate degree i went to uh, brown university in in providence rhode island so about a just a little bit six hour drive or so south of montreal for uh, four years as an undergraduate. And then I, it was always my dream to come back to uh, McGill, come home and, uh, and I've basically been at McGill ever since. Right on, and, and you're now currently at, in McGill and you're the, the chief of surgery there and recently now the, the president of SAGES. And there's so many different things that we could talk about, but one of the things that we really wanted to, to chat with you up front and congratulate you on, obviously, uh, first of all is your election as the president of uh, Sages, and so I just wanted to start off by asking you, you know, how did you become interested in in running for the position of of uh, being the Sages president? Sages to me, I always just really connected with Sages as a community of surgeons and an organization. Uh, I first, um, you know, I was trained by by Jerry Freed. He was also my predecessor as chair of, the, of our department here. And I was actually his, his fellow uh, in minimally invasive surgery. And uh, he took me to my first SAGES meeting 
where we presented, uh, I think I had a little poster, you know, in those days you had to type in your, maybe not type it in, but uh, try to print it out in the square. Um, and uh, we had a poster it was in San Antonio and um, maybe it was just getting to spend time with Jerry and his, his amazing wife, Karen, that, that was really fun as well. But I just really found a community of, of people interested in the same things that I was interested in, but also really, really uh, started to connect with other people at my stage, uh, people that were interested in the same stuff. I, I you know, you, you could connect with people that you, you've read their stuff, you, you've read their books. And Sages, I just love the, the it's, it's a really down to earth um, organization, um, really, really focused on, on young people, I felt, uh, and I still feel uh, lots of opportunities for young people. Um, and, and so that was just, uh, and also just, a, it's an organization that has a lot of fun. Um, definitely, I don't know if you, if, have you been to Sages yet? Uh, I haven't had the chance to go to Sages specifically, but yeah, you totally get the, the flavor of that Sages is like a fun yeah. event to go to. Right. So I, I would definitely, you know, of course, I'm a bit biased, but, uh, uh, you know, as president, my meeting will be in Denver in March in 2022. And I, I really hope you can come. And then the meeting in 2023 will actually be in Montreal. And it's the first time it'll be in Canada. Um, so I hope we can attract a lot of Canadians also who are interested in a GI surgery, you know, improving recovery for, sur for patients, uh, minimally invasive surgery techniques, technologies, and just also a uh, fun organization. And definitely, and I, won't, I won't give away all of Sage's fun things, but like there, there is the sing-off. It is a bit, uh, it is, it's pretty well known, but um, I, I, hope, uh, I hope you can come. Yeah, it's it's definitely on my list of, of meetings to attend once once we can actually go back to in-person meetings. It's so it's just such, such, such an exciting prospect on the horizon to be able to go to these meetings again in person to meet everyone. Um, you know, I, I kind of you, you mentioned that you had gone with your your mentor, Gerald Freed, who's obviously a huge name in Canada and beyond in terms of minimally invasive surgery. How did you yourself get involved or interested in minimally invasive surgery? Clearly, you were a pioneer, and I should mention for our listeners that you're really someone who has pushed uh, minimally invasive surgery here in Canada and really helped to bring that and expand that across the country. So how did you yourself kind of get interested um, when, when at, at a time when probably not that many people were doing minimally invasive surgery? Well, I, I think it's, it's probably like a lot of people, what, what, you, what you get into, um, a lot of it had to do with, with role models. And Jerry was always, uh, Dr. Freed, Jerry Freed was always a mentor to me and a role model for, for various reasons. And, and he was uh, certainly well-known uh, pioneer in, um, in minimally invasive surgery. And, and when I started my surgical residency, it was 1993. And the first lap coli in, in the first lap coli's in Canada were only done in you know mid 1990, so it was really a time of, of rapid development and innovation. But to me, um, I'm not I'm not really like a gearhead. I'm not like a really so for me it wasn't so much about the stuff. For me, it was a lot about just the patients just look so much better, um, and it's a very very obvious thing. And I was always interested. I don't know why, but I was always interested in kind of proving that, 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 that patients were recovering faster. And actually that's, that's, has been my bit of my research interest ever since I was a trainee. So a lot of it, I think is, is, is just seeing the impact on the patients. And a lot of it was 
following in the footsteps of somebody uh, who I thought was a good role model. And I, I thought uh, I, I thought it looked like they had a good life and were happy in surgery and excited about surgery. Um, and that was one of the that was one of the things about about Jerry is that he really loved to operate and he really loved to be in the OR and, and be with patients and he and he seemed happy. So I think that was probably a reason, something to to emulate as a as a trainee. And I think that's a that's something that really rubs off on, on people. Yeah, it's it's you can't really underestimate how powerful that mentors impact on you. And I kind of like the fact that you chose to become, you know, a guru of MIS because you liked what it ha- what impact it had on patients, you know, a, a lot of surgeons talk about the fact that they kind of like the tools or they're, they're kind of interested in the, 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 the technology aspect of it and, and all that. And I'm kind of like you, you know, I, I want the tool that will be the best for the thing that we need to do. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. As opposed to being the advocate for the tool, uh, because sometimes that, that that's not the right tool for that particular patient or for that particular condition. Um, yeah. And, you know, this sort of relates to the the one of the questions we were going to ask you about SAGES. You know, SAGES stands for the Society um, uh, of American Gastrointestinal Endoscopic Surgeons. And, you know, on first glance, it's kind of hard to figure out what unites that group of, of people. You know, is it especially now that it's not even just about laparoscopy anymore. It's there's robotics, there's you know, transanal surgery. Obviously, I'm a colorectal fellow. I'm going to bring transanal surgery into it somehow. Um, but there's all these kind of disparate technologies now. And perhaps, you know, some things have not proven even the test of time for minimally invasive surgery. So how do you sort of see SAGES as encompassing all those kind of different uh, folds? Or do you see SAGES as really a, a society ded- dedicated to figuring out more minimally invasive ways that we can do surgery? Like, how do you sort of think about that as an organization? Well, I think um, SAGES is a a general surgery, general gastrointestinal surgery organization. So I think there's an evolution that um, we could could discuss of why it's called gastrointestinal and endoscopic surgeons. Uh, But I think the key thing is for me, the sweet spot for SAGES is about the intersection between um, uh, innovative, new technology, often they're new, but innovative, less invasive technologies that improve recovery for patients. Uh, And at the same time, the education that's required to go with that. Um, And I think that's where SAGES really took off. Uh, Just to get into the history a little bit, SAGES was begun by the surgeons, you know, about 40 years ago who were interested in endoscopy, colonoscopy. Um, So that's where the endoscopic surgeons came from. And when uh, laparoscopy came on the horizon in 1989, 1990, those, they were the same group that kind of immediately grasped. And maybe it's because they were doing image-based, you know, they were in that kind of image-based world um, as GI surgeons, and they immediately grasped the meaning of it. And they were very early adopters. And a lot of them became, even in, in colorectal, in upper GI, in bariatrics, um, became those kind of pioneers in, in those areas. And they're, and they're in, in, in that kind of, and I would say, you know, my generation is more the, the people that were, were taught by those pioneers. Um, and so that's a little bit of, of why it's called, and it actually was called gastrointestinal endoscopic surgeons, 
but to broaden the, 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 the appeal to, to broaden to the house of surgery that's really in gastrointestinal surgery that and was actually added and not that long ago uh, within the last 10 years or so. That's some neat history that I actually didn't realize. And it's almost like, you know, having not been there and, and only having a very recent kind of insight into sages, it's almost more about like a mindset as opposed to anything else. It's like a mindset of how do we advance care and how do we innovate and how do we make things better as opposed to just, you know, being about the latest tools right. or the latest toys. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. And if you don't know anything about sages, I, I I'm I'm very happy that that kind of uh, is is conveyed, uh, because at the same time, I think what's important to me in, in thinking about technology uh, is is kind of the the and and I think sages uh, is definitely interested in you know the next big thing. There's a big focus on technology and being ahead of that curve, and that's really important. So stuff like you know, uh, computer vision and helping with uh, uh, looking at AI technologies, looking at uh, robotics, as you mentioned, but at the same time, being aware about the humanistic, as humanistic aspects of surgery, the community aspects of surgery, what's important in our careers as surgeons to thrive, not just survive. Uh, last year, we started a, a new task force called actually called Reimagining the Practice of Surgery. We always have, you know, we call it RPS, but, um, and that really has to do with, with, with us as surgeons, what do we, what's important to us in our careers to, to thrive as surgeons professionally, uh, to get the, 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 you know, the meaning out of our professional lives that, that drew us to surgery in the first place that, uh, and our, you know, the career trajectory. So I think uh, having that community of people, you know, being a surgeon is, is hard. And, and in some ways we have a lot of supports if we're lucky and family and friends. Um, but in some ways it's, it's our colleagues that really understand and, um, and, that, and, that, and that having around us, having excited about the same things that we're excited about, uh, understand the, 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 the challenges and, and, the, and, the, and the times that things are really don't, don't go well. And that's normal in, in the life of a surgeon at some point. Um, and, and I think that's another thing that really drives that, that, that you can find in surgical societies, not, not only sages, but, but I would definitely encourage everybody um, to, 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 to get involved in, in a specialty society or surgical society, whether that's a local, uh, a provincial organization, or national, international, to, to find, because there are people, there are your people, the people that are interested in the stuff that you're interested in, the people that get you. And, and having that opportunity to travel and, and, and I've really made close friends uh, through my, my work at Sages and other people have the same, whatever organization they are drawn to. Um, so I think there's so many aspects of, there's so many things to do in setting up your career, but um, I think that's one thing that um, I, I, I feel very lucky that I was able to get involved uh, deeply in a, in a surgical society. Yeah, I think I've, I've told this story before on the podcast, but when I was doing my master's, um, one of the residents from Calgary came to Brigham and Women's to do an elective. And uh, I met met up with her while she was there. Um, and, you know, I think it's like the closest experience I'll ever have to being meeting up with like a veteran, you know, like two veterans meeting from a war. Like that's what yeah. it felt like, you know, it, just, it felt like two veterans uh, and the way that we just kind of caught up on on things that had happened in the past and things that were going on it just it really did feel like you know this was like some it's more than just like 
a colleague. It's like someone that you've you've really gone to the front lines with. I feel so delighted when you kind of have this as one of your visions for the for for Sages. What are the other things that you sort of think about when you're uh, now as the president of Sages, um, in terms of your vision for this the organization going forward? Well, you know, being being having it's it's such a huge privilege uh, to have that platform that people that you know that will listen to you for some reason. Um, and and I think you know I've I've thought a lot about how to try to make the most of my uh, opportunity. For sure, I mean, uh, serving in in the in the roles that lead up to presidency for the last several years on the executive committee and, and going through the last uh, pa- the pandemic uh, for the last year and a half and and going through the reckoning. It's an you know it's it's, it's a North American organization, but it's 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 an American based organization and and seeing the reckoning that they've gone through uh, with with racism and and anti racism efforts. So DEI anti-racism, I think, are, are very key um, priorities for this year. I think Sages, because we like to think of Sages as an innovative uh, organization, I think we've 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 have it's not we're not new to I think to that to the to those concepts, but I think they've been brought out in such a striking uh, emotional way that uh, that we will definitely. Uh, focus in a big way on, on that uh, this year. That's that's definitely a, a very big priority as for other organizations. And I think Sages, um, you know, hopefully will continue to be innovative in that space. And and for us, it's just a, a way to continue to, to get, to be as strong as we can be, to be the most creative, innovative organization that we can be by making sure that we uh, encourage leadership opportunities within our organization for everybody and that everybody feels that they belong uh, in our organization. And we obviously, like every organization, we have work to do to understand um, those pathways and understand if we have potential blind spots. And that's work that we will certainly do uh, in a big way, continue to do um, this this year as well. Actually, the chair of our diversity, uh, we call Diversity Leadership and Professional Development Committee is Aliyah Qureshi, who's actually also Canadian, trained in Toronto. She's now in Boston. Uh, so uh, good Canadian Canadian content there, but that's definitely a, a big priority for us this year. Yeah, um, uh, it's certainly a thing that I think every organization, journal, uh, institution really needs to think about um, how, how what strategy they're going to have in terms of addressing those issues. Um, you know, I noticed that uh, you had tweeted the other day that you had uh, were in discussion with the the president of the. Society of Black Academic Surgeons, and I, I know that those efforts are kind of ongoing. What do you see b- besides making the the leadership uh, opportunities available to everybody? And what are some of the concrete things that you think Sages can do to try to promote diversity and equity uh, in the organization? Uh, you know, we we like you said, there's one thing to commit, and there's other there's other there's things that you need to put into practice. Um, you know, we when we um, a few years ago, we started a, uh, a a task force that became a committee that we called "We Are We Are Sages." Um, that probably was more focused on um, gender um, equity within our organization, um, and 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 we we did have to put in. We did not that we had to, but but the process was was quite um, strategic in in let's say um, representation at our meeting representation. 
uh, speaking opportunities. And maybe in gender, it's uh, the, the metrics are a little more tran transparent. So we could, we could, without much difficulty, say, you know, it's going to be 50% of our, of our speakers are, are going to be women. Um, and and um, when I was the co-chair of the program in 2018, President at the time, Dan Jones, uh, was was very was was very fierce on it, uh, and you know we had conversations <clears throat> where he would ask us as the chairs of the program, and obviously the meeting is a big is a really huge central event for us. So planning the meeting is 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 <clears throat> a big big deal, and he would say often, you know, what's the number? We'd say. 40, 46%. He's like, not good enough. You know, get me to 50%. I don't care how you do it. It's 50%. It's 51%. And so I think there are, you know, whether, whether, you know, we need to put in those kind of, of how do we know where we're going in the right direction, getting the data and the metrics that we need. Um, and, and I think a part of, of, of Sages that I got a lot of, a lot of from Sages as a, as, as, you know, a, a committee member and then a, a committee co-chair, chair, uh, board member, you know, moving up on the in the ranks, was really a huge amount of leadership training for me, um, and 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 you know that's something that I feel so grateful to Sages uh, for. It's it's where I encountered things like strategic planning, uh, budgeting, um, you know, how how do you enact a vision? How do you sell a vision to a group of of other surgeons or other colleagues? Um, and so to me. Uh, really, this is a part of our leadership development. So it's education for our leadership. It starts with education, um, and and then it's putting putting policies into. It will likely involve putting some policies and and, and you know look, looking at needs of our of our members uh, through, through surveys and needs assessments, um, at, led by our diversity uh, committee. Uh, so I think there's a lot of great people involved with that. And I think that we have to be strategic, thoughtful. We have to keep track, um, and um, we have to make sure that our that our that our organization represents uh, the House of Surgery, and and that uh, our our members gain stuff from Sages that they are able to enact in their own communities. Um, and I think that's one of the big advantages of of, of having opportunities in organizations like Sages is that. What, what I learned uh, in, through, my, through the opportunities I was given at Sages to lead are, are, are a huge part of how, how we, what we bring back to our own organizations, our home base to enact in leadership and, and it builds on itself. So I think that that's a, that's a key role for Sages. Yeah, it's not an easy task. Like I don't envy anyone who's put it, you know, in the, in the realm or in the role of being the president of a major organization because it's really a, a big group of people and and of course surgeons are not you know necessarily the the uh they're not pushovers by any means or natural followers you know so you you really do have to deal with some people who have very strong opinions on how to do things and who have a variety of different interests and and thoughts and opinions on things so um you know I, i'm curious if there's anything that you surprising that you've uh, encountered uh, during your first uh, initial bit as the ten in your tenure as uh, Sage's president in terms of uh, leadership and and that uh, um, type of activity in terms of thinking about uh, running a big organization like this. 
Well, you know, volunteer leaders. Uh, so I wouldn't, I, you know, we have an excellent, really outstanding staff. And, and that's one of the things I also think uh, about, um, you know, something like Sages and other organizations like it are, um, I think, you know, the main thing is to, for any, it's it's almost like any any project that you want to do is, is you think of, you know the opportunity that you have, and 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 laying out some kind of a vision uh, that's attainable in the time that you have uh, with that opportunity. And I think it's like any um, any any project or any um, uh, role that we play in our everyday life. I mean, surgeons to me are all leaders, you know, and uh, um, surgeons lead every day uh, in the operating room and. Um, I, I think um, you know we have excellent, excellent uh, group of leaders. I'm, I'm surprised every day. I'm, I'm amazed every day. I'm, I'm amazed by the amount of work that people do as volunteers. It's humbling. It's it's amazing. We we had uh, we've had our virtual board meetings and and um, uh, the 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 one that we had uh, not very long ago, about a month ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, in the spring is, is basically we, we have 42 committees and task forces at Sages, uh, and and so to hear about the, the the amazing work that's done by our volunteer surgeons, like surgeons are pretty busy, uh, is it's amazing, and I, I'm surprised and 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 just like so proud and 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 in in many ways just like wow, you're doing what like every committee is is doing amazing things and uh so i i, I honestly i i sometimes i'm surprised I'm, I'm i'm surprised when people are able to put the time in and uh and but i think it's really worth it because you do have that ability to create something in a way in some ways that mirrors what you can do at home but it but it's but it's different uh so i i i, I not that i'm surprised but i'm i'm proud of it and uh and uh, you know it's it's exciting and it gives it definitely gives me energy. Well, that's fantastic. There's some really passionate people out there in the world, and it is really yeah. inspiring to see what what people do. And that, you know that's one of the things that we've learned from doing the podcast is just it's amazing uh, the work that you and so many others have have done. So it, uh, so that uh, it really really truly is. It, and it's is amazing, amazing what you're doing. Oh. I'm thinking what you're doing and doing the. <laughs> podcast and, and and adding to the to the journal in that way bringing something new something that gives a, a different perspective um, as a volunteer and as a leader and that's what that's what it's about is 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 it, if you have the opportunity and we all have that opportunity um, you know big small every single day as surgeons in our in our kind of privileged roles as, as leaders in our communities in our institutions whatever level we're at um, you know I think you your example shows you can take something, you have an idea, you're given an opportunity, you run with it, and then you have something that's meaningful and, and that people learn from and, and and you've created something new. So that's you know, you've done you've done you've done great with, with that as well. Well, I, we we appreciate that and we've we've enjoyed doing it. One of the one of the obviously we like we talked before about Sages is that Sages is this innovative kind of organization that is constantly trying to think about the next best technology. How can we take care of patients better uh, in a less inv invasive way, uh, potentially? And obviously, you've been doing this for a long time now. You know, you, you were a pioneer of MIS um, back in the '90s. 
Where do you see the future of minimally invasive surgery going? Well, I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's the, the evolution will continue to be, um, you know, t- towards this path, less invasive, uh, more personalized, um, safer, and, and some of the exciting innovations, I think, in, in, in safety will, will uh, potentially revolve around, um, you know, computer vision, potentially, point of care decision support in the OR, but also in the clinic. So more personalized as we get more into data science uh, potential. Uh, none of these things proven to do anything yet, but these are just looking, looking, uh, you know, looking at certain potential. Um, yeah, so I think that that we're continuing on that path. This is a time of, of rapid transformation. It's a pretty exciting time to be, um, you know, in surgery. I think especially starting in surgery. Um, we've seen this kind of rapid transformation, as you said, with the with the laparoscopy revolution. That's something that uh, completely transformed surgery extremely quickly. And I think we're, you know, every maybe every 25, 30 years, and 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 maybe data science has the potential uh, to 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 give the next revolution. Uh, advances in in robotics and and um, uh, um, surgical techniques. There might be a role for some of those things to be automated. Um, you know, so I think this is a very exciting time of transformation, um, more image-based, also education, uh, augmented reality techniques, virtual reality techniques and education are, are, are very exciting. How, how do we learn from video uh, recordings in the OR? Uh, so lots of really, I think, exciting stuff uh, in, in minimally invasive surgery. Yeah, it is an exciting time. It's it's also an interesting time. You know, I, I, I'm sure you may have seen there was this paper in Annals that reviewed the, the robotic cholecystectomy uh, experience in New York and found like a surprising number of like bile duct injuries and increased complications. And so it almost seems like there's this separation happening now in some ways where, you know, lots of surgeons are trying to ad- adopt new technologies and new techniques. Um maybe with varying outcomes. You know, it's it's always hard to say what goes on in, in these types of scenarios. And then you'll have the advocates for whatever the their favorite thing is, you know, the robotic colorectal surgeons to give a colorectal exam, example. We'll just talk about robotic colorectal surgery and the TAT mirrors. We'll talk about TATME. And so there's all these kind of different camps and there's all these different technologies and varying levels of expertise with, with all these different platforms. Do you see Sages uh, broadly and perhaps, and you personally, do you have any thoughts about how we can perhaps bridge that, that variation in care and unify these kind of different camps? Well, I, I think it's, it's uh, whenever there's, you know, there, it's kind of the uh, technology adoption curve. There's extreme enthusiasm uh, when something is new, um, you know, TATME is a, a great example. Um, there's going to be a role for it. It's, it's, it, you know, it, it enables certain things to be done that probably better than uh, with other techniques. Um, and, 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 and how do we personalize what's the best? How do we, you know, make sure as surgeons taking care of a specific type of patient with a specific type of disease that we have the tools in the toolbox to to make that as personalized and you know have the best outcome for that patient as possible, so I think when we bring it back to 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 what's the outcome for the patient and even 
through a value lens of you know best outcome outcomes that are important to patients divided by the cost as as, as being a, a definite Michael Porter's definition of of value. Um, I, I think it it starts to simplify things a bit, um, but there'll always be you know. I think another great framework for evaluation of new technologies is called the ideal framework, um, where, where, you know, we, we, we want to encourage, obviously as surgeons, innovation is, is critical and, and, and it doesn't always follow a, the, the path of, you know, phase one, two, three trials. On the other hand, it does need to follow some kind of path and, uh, uh, where, where we evaluate, um, the, the, the role and, and, and the effectiveness, um, and the trade-offs for different technologies. And I think that's that's a really good framework uh, to look at that. Yeah, and I, I do think like personally that Sages has had, is gonna have a huge role in terms of disseminating the best available techniques and tools and data around all this stuff. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've watched Sages videos in preparation mm. for an operation, even when I've done it many times before, because I, I just find it yeah. so helpful to look at them. Me too. Yeah. And I think that's a, I'm very happy to hear that um, because I think um, Sages is one of the things is, is how do we make that information? I think when we're, when we're looking to watch a video to learn, to prepare for a technique, and we know that that's probably, that's the number one way trainees and, and surgeons, what they do when they're, you know, learning one or even, you know, you're, you're doing a tech, something you don't do every day. And, and we want to make sure that, 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 you can that 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 the quality of what we're we're, we're watching is, is is you know that there's that there's a quality element to it and I think that if if sages can give that kind of stamp to people who are watching it that's exactly what we want but we want to make it easier for people to find that um, so we are uh, embarking on a whole uh, uh, you know redo of 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 our educational materials at sages along we call our master's program which is along. Um, sort of specialty lines, colorectal, hernia, bariatrics, et cetera. Um, and, and, and a new organizational wide learning system, management system, which will also uh, hopefully help with, with management of the fundamentals programs of FES, FLS, and FUSE, um, two of which are, are mandated um, programs by the American Board of Surgery. So, so trying to make that information more accessible, easier to find for what you need uh, is definitely also a, um, not maybe not as a as as exciting as DEI and anti-racism efforts, but but making sure that educational materials because it goes exactly with, I mean, a, a technology. And I think this is what one of the things learned in laparoscopy that, um, you know, a, a technique that's only doable by by a rare few people is 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 not going to be something that changes changes patient care. And if it's something that's really worthwhile, like like laparoscopy, then how we train people to do it is critical uh, in terms of that learning curve and the safety aspects. Uh, so they really go hand in hand, new technologies. And, and, and it's almost the translational aspect is that uh, surgical education piece. Um, and I, I think you're right that it's, it's a lot through video. Yeah, I mean, like even simple things, I think that uh, like having uh, playlists or th some things like that on on YouTube so that it's easy to find the, mm -hmm. the, the right video and, and things like that is going to be super helpful. Um, I mean, I think Sages, one of the things that's been really cool about Sages and is so innovative about Sages is the em embrace of social media, 
Facebook, Twitter. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask, who is the genius bot that runs the Sage's Twitter account? That The Sage's Twitter, far and away, no question, is the best or you know organization's tw- social media profile on earth. Like what, how did that happen? Who does that? Tell me a little bit about who, who, uh, nobody who knows, that. nobody knows who exactly does it. Uh, we all have our suspicions. Uh, I will convey your, uh, your compliments. Um, but yes, uh, that's, <laughs> I, I agree. It's a, it's, it's great. But there must be some level of like that, that sages, uh, agreed to kind of go down this path because it's, it's totally Ooh. different than a normal or a traditional Twitter account. You know, it's not, it's deliberately the voice is not like super starchy and uptight it's Mm -hmm. very like it engages in a different way with the audience and like lots of non-surgeons follow sages because of that reason so like what was the thinking around that or like what what was it really who had the courage to to let the twitter account and the social media kind of uh, presence go in that direction well i think that's that's just how sages is i mean i think that's that's the um that's one of our val- that's one of the values is is you know we want to be exciting and 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 we want to be relevant and we want to engage lots of different types of people um and and you know we, we want it to be kind of fun also at the same time and not take take it too seriously um so i i think uh that's the mix that that i think uh is is is, is what we're we're happy to, to, to have. I want to switch gears here a little bit, Dr. Feldman, and ask you about your experience as the James IV uh, Traveling Fellow. I think about a decade ago, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm curious what prompted you to apply for that fellowship? Uh, you know, obviously it's a prestigious honor and something we watch very closely in Canada. And I'm curious what, what your experience was like uh, traveling through that time. Yeah, like you said, uh, uh, it's, um, it's a it's a big honor, and um, I um, you you actually it's not really much of an application. Uh, you you're kind of brought forth as a not you know nominated by um, by by the people uh, at at James the um, Fourth, and uh, and and I've become one of those people that sits around the table that usually we meet at the Canadian Surgery Forum or we meet uh, vir- virtually, and um, nominees are brought forward from the various, um, um, you know, the various uh, departments of surgery. Um, and there's some amazing, amazing, you know, Canadian surgeons. I think it's a great opportunity at that tipping point where, um, you know, maybe at the tipping point between associate and, and full professor where um, we're, we're uh, making those kind of international connections are, are, are important. Um, so it's also, when I went, I had um, kids who I could travel with, but um, the youngest I think was six or seven. So you're right; it's about ten years ago. Uh, he's 18, the youngest. We had three kids, and we uh, there's sort of a a bit of a trail for James the Fourth because um, it's it's great to 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 visit other places that um, are James the Fourth involved in James the Fourth themselves, and then a mix of of other places as well. So. Um, you know, we, we, we got to go to bring the whole family to Australia, New Zealand. Uh, so that was a huge adventure for us at the time. And it's a great mix of, uh, work and, 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 uh, and play 
and they still talk about it. You know, kids like the trips you take, uh, family trips you take are, you know, uh, and even for me, uh, and maybe for you guys too, uh, like what you remember as a kid are those trips. Uh, my parents didn't take me to to Australia, but uh, you know, even uh, road trip driving down to Florida or something, you you definitely uh, remember those. So it's a great opportunity for Canadian uh, surgeons. Yeah, it's so it's so true, and it's it's such a prestigious honor. You're you're right, and uh, it's a small club, and it's a it's a, a a list of some really amazing people. I'm I'm curious both uh, bilaterally. So, how did it change, or maybe alter, or impact your practice when you came back to Canada? And I'm curious. You know, obviously these relationships, whether they're through former fellowships or through, always try and leave some sort of uh, legacy or or something behind them. I'm curious uh, on, on sort of both directions, how you experienced those two. Oh, yeah, exactly right. I mean, I think for sure I got more out of it than I think I left behind. <laughs> but, um, you know, visiting a place like Imperial College um, in, in London, uh, uh, you know, a mecca uh, of, of sort of surgical education, surgical innovation, um, I, I, you know, meeting with all of, you know, having a whole day of, of, of meeting with, with researchers at, at different levels, hearing about all their ideas, presenting your own work and getting feedback uh, on that. I also made a point of, of, of trying to get to the OR every place that I went just to see uh, different ways that people do things and also the same ways that people do things, um, you know, rounding with the residents and the team, uh, uh, as a general surgeon, and I like to do, I always like, uh, you know, emergency general surgery. Um, so, so many things are, are exactly the same wherever you go. Questions are the same. You know, I remember even, when do you guys use cholecystostomy tube? Oh, I hate cholecystostomy tube. Oh, I love cholecystostomy tube. Like the regular, it's, you know, the regular stuff that we, that unites us around the world, no matter where, um, at least in, you know, in the Western world and the academic surgery world. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and, and you, you come home with, I had lots of ideas, new ideas, uh, new collaborations, new friends, and a lot of family memories as well. One thing that we definitely need to talk about before we let you go is the FUSE program. Mm. You co-developed the, the FUSE program, and this has become obviously an, an integral part of training for, for residents, particularly in North America. Can you talk about what the FUSE program is and how you, how and why you developed it? Yeah, so FUSE, it uh, stands for Fundamental Use of Surgical Energy. Um, it's one of those things, um, I, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a program that was developed by, by, by SAGES, an educational program, to teach uh, surgeons the, the, you know, some of the basic information uh, that underlines the safe use of energy devices that we use every day in the operating room. Um, and and uh, it's uh, the didactics are are, are free. Um, anybody can uh, go through them, um, and it's stuff that we generally don't cover in our residency programs or training programs. Or we we've had uh, industry come in and 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 you know there, there's nothing inherently necessarily wrong with that, but I think it's such an important safety issue. Uh, we've all had uh, you know safety issue that we should understand the devices that we use uh, that all have huge benefits. We couldn't do surgery without them. And certainly we couldn't do minimally invasive surgery without some of these devices. 
uh, but that, that we should own the training of those devices and understand uh, the safety issues. Um, and really that's what, that's what, that's what Fuse is about. Well, it's an, it's an amazing program. And, you know, it's interesting to reflect, right? Because when, when we teach trainees about some of these devices, you know, certain things like say, uh, certain energy instruments, for example, are quite intuitive to use, but there is nuance to, to all of it, whether it's using a stapler or whether it's using a, uh, you know, a negative uh, a vacuum suction dressing, there's tons of nuance. And quite, quite honestly, the, the, the companies aren't great communicators at teaching that nuance, I find, I don't know what your experience is. And then the, the flip side of it is, you know, as well, there is variability from place to place. And I don't think everyone reads the engineering you know, manual that comes with a lot of these devices. So it's, it's, it's so critical, hey? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you can just ask yourself, do you know what, what the basic technology, how does that device that you have in your hand work? And I know as trainees, uh, you know, you may, it's not just for, tra- I mean, all of us as surgeons, I suspect many of us, would have trouble explaining the difference between ultrasonic, bipolar, mm-hmm. cut, coag, blend. Uh, you know, maybe there's a bit more education on that in, in our nursing colleagues. Uh, how do you handle an OR fire, a disaster event that can happen that has a, a that 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 we should you know we sh- we need to be aware of and drill down on. Um, so, so, and these are things that are, that don't, they, they happen and uh, they have devastating consequences. I think most of us have been involved in um, a complications of energy devices. Um, surveys have shown that, that, that most surgeons, if not from themselves, have sort of one degree of freedom away from, one degree of separation away from either a colleague or, or a case that they dealt with, with, you know, a, 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 a missed en- an enterotomy that develops or a bowel situation that develops a week later. Um, you know, we've all been involved in those cases. So I think it, and I, I was not an expert in energy in any way. I was brought into it as, as probably because of, of, of my work in education. Um, and that's how I got onto the team. And so I really had a full education uh, <laughs> about it and uh, needs a refresher once in a while. But I think, uh, uh, I'm happy to have the opportunity to, uh, to, to promote the program and, and encourage it. Also, for people that want the actual certification, there is a, uh, you know, a certification exam uh, that can be done. Um, but uh, for everybody else, you know, the, as I mentioned, the didactics are free. You can do CME. There are CME questions built into it. Um, and um, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad you guys like it. One, one thing that comes up every single time someone has the fuse. Like I remember doing this as a resident, every resident that I've seen after the, uh, after taking fuse, the fuse course, they always come back to their staff and they're like, the fuse course said that I should use cut when dissecting, not coag. And I never see you use cut. And they're like, well, that's true. But you know, I still use coag. Um, (laughs) and you know, I still remember that one of the surgeons in, in Red Deer, um, would always use cut, and I was kind of shocked when he when he did that. And then I went away and did the fuse course, and I realized that at least according to the physics, that seems like the right thing to do. Can you explain for our listeners why should you use the cut function when dissecting and not coag? Uh, yeah, I mean, so the the you, you have to go to the fuse, but basically when you use coag, you at the same power setting um, to keep the power set. So what you press. 30, you know, 25, 30, you say, 
where are my electros, you know, where's my Bovi settings? You're going to say, oh, 35, 35. So that's the power, the watts uh, that are generated. Uh, so at the same, if you go back to, um, to, our, to our physics class, um, you know, at the same power, um, the, the thing about the coag is it's an interrupted waveform. So it's, it's only actually generating uh, current, uh, maybe, you know, in the fuse, it says about 6% of the time. So in order to maintain the same power, you have to really uh, jump up the, the voltage if you're only on 6% of the time versus the continuous waveform that you have with cut. And I think that, um, you know, every, every generator is a little different and, and it is one case where you wanna look at what the manufacturer is recommending. Oftentimes we'll recommend uh, the blend function, which is not cut and coag put together. It's, it's, it's a modification of cut so that it's a little bit of a, uh, interrupted waveform, but, uh, but, but not as, as, you know, so let's say it's on 80% of the time, 50% of the time, and you will have different tissue effects. And it's a great thing to do in, uh, uh, for, you know, academic half day or something to do uh, with a piece of meat in the simulation center where you can really play around with that stuff. And the thing about the, the continuous waveform is, as you can understand, it's going to give you a stronger, more uh, effective seal when you're co-opting the vessel walls versus that kind of welding that you could have on, you know, it's on for 6% of the time and then off, on, off, on, off. And you get that sticking and caramelization that pulls off your seal. But it is very good for fault duration or that surface coagulation on, on the gallbladder bed. And uh, so I think there is an art to electrosurgery and, and there's some very basic concepts that are, are you know, not that, that can be easily taught and remembered uh, that 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 help us with that art of you know different tissue effects with this with when you use the tip of the hook or when you use the heel of the hook that we all kind of recognize, but it, it kind of explains why, and it also goes through some of the safety issues. So if you have let's say an implantable device like a pacemaker, if you're pushing up the voltage to get that tissue effect, you definitely may have more interference with those devices and so forth. So I think it's stuff that we use every day that we're responsible for for really understanding it. I was hoping that we could end with a question uh, you may know we ask almost all of our guests, which is that if you could go back in time and, and visit yourself either as a surgical trainee and or uh, maybe a junior staff surgeon, what advice would you would you like to give yourself in hindsight? I think uh, advice to my younger self is just to take it take it easy on myself. As a resident, I think it's to to re, to that everybody learns to operate. I think would and just. Somebody did tell me that and it, it helped at the time. I didn't believe it, but it turns out to be almost entirely true. You've been listening to Cold Steel, the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you've liked what you've been listening to, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your comments and feedback, so feel free to email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter at CanJSurge. Thanks again.